Last summer, I remember a strange moment. I wonder if you remember this at all. I noticed people on social media, really of, of every background and age, they were, they were posting and talking about the same thing and, and doing so in a pretty similar manner, actually. I noticed a variety of scientists around the world, people known for their attention to detail and focused data, not necessarily usually known for expansive offerings of emotional exuberance, suddenly finding themselves without words and visible tears streaming down the sides of their face. I remember an area of Times Square, you know, one of those big sides of the building that they, they light up for advertisements and the latest shows and all that. They didn't show that, and they instead put a display of what everybody was talking about on that huge billboard area. Do you recall what captivated people for just a little while last summer? The first images from the James Webb Space Telescope. Do you remember those? <clears throat> Even for people who weren't really paying attention, that images were being taken of the great reaches of, of outer space and, 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 and it, maybe space and the galaxies aren't really your thing. Even so, it seemed like so many people alike were amazed at these images of stars and galaxies thousands of light years away, almost from an entirely different realm and, 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 and shown to us in such profound vividness and color. And, and, and mind-bendingly, because of the way light travels, the, the telescope it, it looks back in time and observes these, these distant stars and galaxies, that some of which appeared 13.5 billion years ago. We're seeing the deep past it, in the present. And I, and I think as we collectively, as a people, saw these images and discovered ourselves moved, it, it reminded us of something that we actually long for quite deeply. We probably too rarely experience, and we often don't even articulate it. What we experienced, what we hunger for, is awe. Experiences and moments that are at some level inexplicable by way of words alone, and yet, yet, yet they are nevertheless profoundly moving, profoundly true, profoundly humbling. I think last summer we reminded ourselves about the shared hunger for all. It's a significant part of the gift given to us in today's scripture passage, and we'll get to some of that. But the passage really does not begin there. Actually, it begins in a shadow of the valley of death kind of place. Just before our passage in Matthew 17, we are at the end of Matthew 16, and Jesus is making clear he is not going to be a Messiah who, who overcomes and overpowers like many hoped for and figured. He tells them he's soon going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer and die at the hands of the political and religious leaders of the time, and and then rise. In particular, just before our passage that I read from Matthew 17, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. I have to imagine the disciples hear this and, and are, are looking for some answers, some further insights about, well, 
what this means, how is it all supposed to work, what are the implications for following in the way of this kind of thing. And I am confident that those of us who are in this room arrive with our own queries about what it means to follow this Jesus and that kind of path. And these are times. Given some of the relational challenges we bring into the room with us today, some, some of the real grief we bring into this space, some of the political challenges, the environmental challenges, what, what does it mean to take up this way of love, this way of Jesus, and, and its accompanying costs? In the spring of 2015, I attended an eight-day retreat specifically designed for pastors put together by our denomination, and this was located in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. And when I attended, I was in one of those spaces where I had a lot of questions. I don't remember all the details, but I, I know that that particular season was, was stressful. It was hectic. It had been hard. I arrived to the mountains looking for answers, looking for direction. And on the second day there, I, I head out to a lake sitting at the bottom of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and I sit beside this lake. Sunny afternoon, light breeze, and all you hear is the chorus of creation around, and I just watch the water for a while. And slowly, I start to notice how the sunlight is dancing on the water. You know how it hits the water, and, and each little ripple of wave, just a spark of, of light against the dark water. And I'm just watching this dance unfold. And it's kind of entrancing, all this. And then I hear a voice, not an audible voice, but a voice. Bobby. That's the church. And I got it. Oh, oh, there, there is a sun faithfully pouring out light. Can't help but do what a sun does, light. And, and the church is active, ongoing, gracious reflections all over the dark waters. Light, 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 light. Reflections of the gift of grace. These moments, it was just kind of magical, even inspiring to, to receive afresh the fundamental thing uh, of what we receive and what we give. It was not nearly as fulsome as what Peter, James, and John experienced. You heard Jesus was transfigured before them, his face showing like the sun, clothes dazzling white. And then, and then you've got Moses and Elijah. Peter, James, and John are now seeing somehow amidst this blinding, inexplicable light, the distant past somehow present. Moses, uh, representative of, of the law, Elijah, representative of the prophets, but still, it's hard to explain their experiences. It seems to be some kind of endorsement of Jesus, right? The, the law and the prophets endorsing, or Jesus as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. But again, all this scene, the, the light, the white, these figures, it, it defies an easy description, explanation. The fundamental truth is somehow the fullness and beauty and goodness and truth of Jesus is shining forth in, in this moment. Many argue this is also actually a glimpse of the future, that this is the resurrected Jesus. 
before them. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience? I mean, maybe not this very thing we're reading about in Matthew 17, but have you ever known that kind of space that, that defies easy description? And yet the fullness and the wonder and the truth and the beauty of, of, of God's presence was inexplicably so very real. Or put it another way, have you ever experienced or known moments of genuine awe before the living God? Such moments, they can't be planned. They can't be forced. But it does seem, whether we point to something once in youth group, or particular memorable experiences in a space of worship. Certain events, certain conversations, certain mission trips, certain low points, certain profane points, certain high points. It does seem wherever we point with some of those memories, those inexplicable moments of profound grace, they are so powerful, aren't they? I personally can name to a, a number of points along my own journey where, where the grace has been known in, in certain songs and prayer, certain conversations in scripture, creation itself, certain low and even profane points. I have known this inexplicable light dancing. And you know what becomes so natural? if you have ever known this experience. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, whew, it is good to be here. There's some light. If you wish, I will make three dwellings, one for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's camp out and make a home and whatever this thing is, let's hold on to it. Let's give it a little framework, little walls, a little roof. Take up residence on the mountain. When I sat by the lake and I watched that light dance, the sentiment went like this for me. Oh, that's, yes, that's the church. The grace pours down. We can't do a thing about it. We just receive it. Oh, and light dancing. Yes, thank you, God. Whoa, wait a second. I came on this retreat with some pressing hard things. Like specific questions, specific challenges, specific direction needed. We need to build a house around this lake until that is clear. For others, it, the sentiment might run a different way. It may be that you've simply known these moments of profound awe and, 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 and grace, whether at very low or very high or in between. And it is very natural, right, to, to want to hold on to that. And, and then over time, Maybe almost unconsciously at first, we start to believe that really is the only place or way Jesus can show up. Well, we, we have to do church that way because that's, that's how the light first streamed in, you remember? We have to sing it or pray it that way. We, we need to gather with those exact people in those exact places and ways because that, that's that's how the light was, remember? 
Or, or sometimes we got to build up these walls of really good, thoughtful theology and put a roof over it with really good, thoughtful theology so we can contain and explain and always come back to this, this thing. Have you ever tried to build a house around the light of Jesus? Ever spent some time trying to put up a wall so that we can, we can get right back to somehow that exact same thing? It, it, it is a natural disciple thing to do. Peter himself is inclined to go there. But listen to this grace. <laughs> While Peter was still speaking, like he's not done talking about the house building idea. God's already moving on, trying to say, here's the point of it. It has nothing to do with houses or tents or camping out up here. While Peter's still going with the idea, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. We're given the mountaintop experiences not to live there or, 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 or try to build a house and recreate it and hold on to it just so. We're given that grace of light time and again so that we may give thanks and then trust as we walk back down the mountain that we can listen to his voice. That his light, his goodness, his promise of, of, of resurrection, no matter what, it, it, it strikes our soul deeply that, that you know what, no matter what the questions are, no matter what the valley is, I can listen to him. That went deep enough that my trust, I'm anchored. And as we walk down the valley, we realize listen to him certainly fundamentally includes the things he's taught the disciples up to this point in Matthew. You know, like blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Forgiveness. Seventy times, seven times. Give to any in whatever form of need and don't make a big show of it. Do not judge. Deal with the plank in your eye. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Welcome the children. That's what dancing light looks like. That's what the lose yourself to find yourself stuff looks like that turns valley realities into mountaintop experiences for other people. I wonder how might the light dance through us today? I mean, can you imagine if the faces of the body of Christ on earth shone with a kind of mountaintop light to others around us? Imagine if we ourselves were something of of these images shining from a, with a light from another realm. Conduits of the kind of love that inspires awe and gratitude. I don't think this world most fundamentally needs, I don't think we ourselves most fundamentally need more answers, more data, more clarity, 
That's always nice, but most fundamentally, I think we ache to know that there is a light actively shining, actively dancing upon us, among us, and through us, which is to say, I think the foremost hunger of our time is to know a living hope. And what if one of the central ways God was communicating this living hope was through the light refracting upon and through God's people. How is Jesus calling us this day? And what if it's by one of the words I already said earlier that Jesus gives in Matthew? Or what if Jesus' call to us is the same one he gives to the disciples in our passage today as they begin walking back down the mountain into the unknown valley? Did you catch the words? Get up and do not be afraid. Amen.